The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. This has been on pause. Sorry for those listening on the internet <laughs> for the last 10 minutes or so. But anyway, um, we've been talking about <laughs> how. Um, you know, when we're acting out and then we notice that we're acting out in a way, it's like, uh, like it's, we don't want to know when we're acting out. So part of the like orienting around these two bright guardians of Hiri Otapa is being willing to uh, be with that gaze, that moral gaze, that compassionate but moral gaze. That moral, I use that word because it knows the difference between what's helpful and what's not helpful. I mean, imperfectly, not doesn't know it perfectly, but it knows it to some degree. It knows at least that it matters, like whether it's wholesome or unwholesome, even if it's not in this moment precisely clear, like how I'm being, what I'm thinking, what I'm doing is helpful or not. So it, I don't know if you've had this experience, but you're doing something and then you're aware of doing it. And then you realize, I, I mean, not that you would say this out loud, but I don't want to be aware. And the mind slides back into being unaware, the unknowing inaction. So this is uh, something you can share in the small group. So these places where you'd rather not see Right, you've been cultivating the unknowing in action. And then uh, what is it like to just name that place? You don't have to go into the gritty details, or you can if you want. You know, you probably like to know, like, well, Mark, what do you look like when you're eating, when no one's looking? <laughs> you know, how much do you put in your mouth at one time, or, you know, whatever it might be. But to just sort of, because it's, we can activate these beautiful, bright guardians even in hindsight in these places. And then the talk about places in our lives where the bright guardians are <clears throat> pretty active. You know, they're, they're, they're ready to go. They know th- this particular area is worthy of their presence, their vigilance. I like that word vigilance. Some of you know this word in Buddhism, apamada, sometimes translated as um, heedfulness, vigilance. I like vigilance because it it has a sense of the light in dark places, right? Bringing the light to dark places. Shining the light where we need a light to be vigilant. Oh, yeah. Being a human being, there are very few places, you know, where we don't want that bright light. Because even when we're acting in very wholesome ways, it's nice to have a bright light because those places where the mind is being really vigilant and really skillful, we want to notice that we're being really skillful. We want to let that impression be felt. Oh yeah, this feels right this leaves a good taste. So this would be nice to share some of these places in our lives, not to be ashamed 
to name these places in our lives where our action, the qualities of our mind, our words, and our actions are pretty wholesome. Where we're not negligent. You know, and just like where that might be. Like, I feel pretty responsive to my cat's requests. You know, and it's so interesting how, like, I don't want to disappoint my cat. It's not even my cat, it's my wife's cat. <laughs> That's an inside joke. But, but, it's, but it's interesting how, like, that integrity and just that alertness and, like, if I were walking and I were to bump, because the cat, you know how the cats can be under your feet, you know, it was like, so there's a, that br- those bright guardians are there like, be careful, there's a cat around, don't kick the cat, don't trip over the cat. You know, what does the cat want? Do you want to go out? Do you want food? Just tell me what you want. <laughs> but just that, that sensitivity you know, are you bored? Do you need someone to play with you? So it's so to talk about now that could e- that could be neurotic, right? And then you can talk about like, oh, that's that's what's there. But what about places in our life where we have that really bright moral sense, and it it has just the right? This is it's interesting in the tradition. Some of you know the word sama. And it, it gets badly translated as right, like right action, right livelihood, right speech, right intention, right view, right concentration, right wisdom, uh, uh, right uh, concentration, right uh, mindfulness, right effort. So these are the Eightfold Path, right? And it has the word sama bef- between or before each of the steps of the Eightfold Path. But actually, sama is... Uh, and I'll, maybe I'll mention this, I'll read the quote next week, but it's related to the, um, a musical sense of evenness, something that is in tune. It's even. So the, so the appropriate use of these bright guardians, like they're in tune with what's going on, not too tight and not too loose. So that vigilance, that moral vigilance, that this moment matters, what the mind is doing matters. It's really about this attunement. And sometimes, you know, each situation is different. When I'm in a really close to doing something very stupid, like falling off a cliff, then the, uh, the way that that moral sense, that wholesome concern would be tuned, you know, it might be like really bright. And other times when we're in a vicinity where it's not so easy to act out and cause tremendous harm, you know, then maybe the attunement has a different quality. We don't always need that like powerful, bright parent leaning over our shoulder, looking at every thought and every word and every action. Right? Sometimes the parent can be snoozing over there because it's like, we couldn't cause trouble if we wanted to because the situation we're in is all it's doing is triggering wholesome qualities of the mind. There's nothing triggering the greed, 
the anger and the delusion. So this would be nice in the small groups to just sort of paint some pictures of places in our life about this moral conscience, this wholesome quality of regret, like how the past gets transformed. It's almost like an alchemy. All our past wounds of the mistakes we've made and stupid things we've done, (coughs) ways we've acted out and caused harm, we've done the work or we're doing the work to transform that stuff into a bright light. Like, oh yeah, that did not help. But now it is alive in my heart and mind as a wisdom. Like, that didn't help. And I'm so glad to know that that didn't help. Because now it's like a monument to myself to be careful not to do that again. And you can even do this. Uh, I was reading a section from James Berez's book on joy. And uh, he was talking about, and this is not an uncommon thing. You hear a lot about it in the 12-step programs about this moral inventory. But it's very common for someone developing a spiritual life and people f- like in this lineage of practice, Buddhist lineage, you know, where we do retreats and are in that really simple environment for a while. It's like things we've done in the past, even way long ago in the past, they tend to percolate up. Seemingly small things, but in the context of retreat with a very sensitive heart, even small wrongs can really loom quite big in the heart and mind. And it really is this opportunity to transmute. So uh, James gives the example of, you know, he was just being tormented by these painful memories of, you know, moral lapses from his past. And somehow he thought it would be a good idea to come up with the 20 most awful things he's ever done in his life. And he was so grateful he could only come up with 17. (laughs) that he really just really felt bad about. But, but what this wisdom does, what wisdom in the mind, this wisdom of karma does, because karma, again, is just understanding that it matters. So there you are, or I am, or we are, you know, whatever number we were able to come up with of truly awful things we've done in the past, right? And we're relating to them in a way that's beating herself up, right? But because we understand karma, we're going, it doesn't help to hate myself for having done 17 truly awful things in my life. What helps? What way, given that I did these truly awful things, what's a skillful way to relate to them? So this would be, again, another thing you might share in the small group is to take one truly awful thing you've done, but that somehow you went through this alchemy where your wisdom in the mind, now that pain, because it's still going to hurt that I did that, I said that, I acted in that way, I hurt this other person in this way. right? But how I've begun, or maybe you're even far along with, now that pain is part of this bright moral light in my heart. And I'm grateful for this bright light 
this monument to stupidity. Like, but, but, it, but it's like, I don't have to do this again because of this bright light in my mind. I don't have to do this again. There's this ringing clarity like, that doesn't help, Mark. That's not the way. Please don't. Please be careful when you're in the vicinity of something like this. And we don't, we have a sense like some of those mistakes we've made in the past, like, I'm never going to do that. Like, it's really hard. Well, I think it's really hard. <laughs> I know, so I'm having some moral doubt, but it's like having, I mean, it's been a long, long time, decades. I, I don't really drink or use any kind of recreational drugs, haven't for, I don't know, early 80s, so a long time over 30 years, and uh, like it's really, it, <clears throat> it'd be really hard. I mean, I don't have to worry when I'm around alcohol or drugs because I don't really have, that. there's so much clarity in my mind that I don't really want to do it. You know, I know what's there, um, and, uh, and I know the sort of highs and lows that come with it, and I... And the clarity in the mind is like, oh yeah, I don't, I'm not attracted to that anymore. But other things I have to be much more vigilant about, right? Because there's, there's another force operating in the mind. Ah, oh, what does it matter? Why not? Go for it, right? So there's, it's more like the Hiri Otapa, those bright guardians, they've got a lot of work to do. So again, this would be, uh, might be useful to to just talk about these places where there's really been that alchemy, where there, they, you really, there's a kind of confidence in the moral clarity around a particular place or issue. And you can, if you don't know about like, things to be that are sort of morally important, you can just remember the five precepts, right? Killing or causing harm taking things that aren't yours, all the different ways that sexual misconduct can get expressed in our lives, all the ways that words, gossip, slander, um, inflating ourselves with words can cause harm, and all the ways intoxicating the mind can lead to being careless where we do some of these you know, first four things. So that can help sort of illuminate, and we'll talk more about the precepts next week. We'll go in a little bit more depth about the precepts. And then it's nice too to, you know, just to paint that picture where, uh, yeah, just where you've had an ambivalent relationship to conscience, as I mentioned earlier, where you kind of felt having that moral conscience was in the way, where it seemed like you'd prefer to be unaware. And that's, that's just sort of interesting, like, oh yeah, because it helps us understand other people. Because one of the things we learn when we, you know, like I was talking about going on the retreat, and doing that moral, like that inevitable 
wherever it's going to happen. It doesn't necessarily have to happen on a retreat. But just when our lives begin to settle down, at some point there will begin this moral inventory where we'll start to, because we're less distracted, less overwhelmed by life, we just start to feel the results of what actions we've acted out. And it's, it's hard work, right? That sort of feeling the results. Right? This is like, instead of letting our karmic fruits surprise us, we somewhat intentionally say, okay, let me see what the unfinished business is. Let me feel it. And we do that work. And then we realize it's so much easier to understand other people who, at least in certain places in their lives, are really invested in not feeling, staying busy, and being unawareness in action. Because to settle down and to really feel what it feels like to have been the person who said that and did that and caused that to happen, initially can feel like there is just no way I can bear to feel that, to face that, to own that. It always appears like it's too much. But it actually is so much more painful and exhausting to have to keep running than it is to turn and face it. And so this is another thing we can share, like those places that maybe initially those pains, those mistakes from the past that initially seemed too much to honestly acknowledge. And then now having done some of that honest acknowledgement, we're so grateful that that's been done. And so much more vigilant about not wanting to set in motion something similar because it's hard work. It's so much harder to do that kind of healing and making amends than it is to avoid doing acting out to begin with, right? One of the interesting things to do is to talk to us, and I think some of the people in this room uh, go to the prisons to teach. I know Judy does, and maybe several of you others are part of those I don't know, maybe 20 or so prisons in the greater Minnesota area, people. Why don't you raise your hands if you're some of the folks that go to the prisons? Oh yeah, so several of you in the room. And uh, But those people often get a chance to hear the stories of the inmates. And, you know, it's like they're like us, except, you know, one thing led to another and a choice was made and, act. you know, there's a thought words, actions that led to a significant change in that person's life. And just to have a sense of when that is all, when those words are already out of our mouth, you know, a lot of suffering can be set in motion or when that action action has already been taken. So to do the work to establish, to develop these bright guardians, and to avoid a lot of that, those thoughts, words, and actions that are so hard then to repair. It just makes so much sense. It's such a wiser... We always think like, oh God, to have to develop that force of restraint, that's being tight. 
You know, I always thought Buddhism was about being relaxed and loose. That just feels really tight. But it's not as tight as just doing what we want and having to kind of clean up the mess. That's really tight. Because, first of all, we avoid cleaning up the mess. Somehow we wrongly think pretending that it doesn't matter is the way. And then, you know, that goes for several decades or several lifetimes. And then we finally realize, no, I actually got to own this because I can't outrun it. I can't hide from it. That's what the Buddha says about karma, right? The fruits of karma. There is nowhere in the universe you can hide. And the reason is because the impression is here. It's not like God or Santa Claus is keeping score. The impression for our skillful and unskillful actions are right here. And it's the mind, moment to moment, it passes. I think I talked about this maybe week two, about the legacy. Remember that? Where it's like one moment of mind is somehow, in a way we can't really comprehend completely, although we can sense or intuit it, the karmic impressions are the legacies of all the past, are passed on one mind moment to the next. So this mind moment, you know, we say, is all the unfinished business. Like when someone asked Trumpa Rinpoche, this well-known and controversial Tibetan teacher, he's dead now, he who started Naropa, he was Pema Children's teacher, um, <clears throat> what gets reborn? A lot of you know this line, right? What gets reborn? Well, the unfinished business, the neurotic tendencies, the unfinished karma is what takes rebirth. Not self, not me, but whatever impressions have not been resolved. Now, last point before we break into groups, and we'll come back to this at the end of this class when we're talking more about... uh, the wisdom, the deeper wisdom understanding that it's all nature, and what does that say about karma? But I want to just make this point here because that last statement may sound like we have to resolve all the unfinished mistakes and wounds from the past before we're awake. But that's a wrong understanding. And the Buddha basically says it's unimaginable how much unfinished business how much legacy is being passed on one moment to the next. And one way to think about this, and again, this is just on a story level, like what's a skillful story to say about karma, is it's not just my personal karma, like when I hit my little brother when I was about nine and he was five, because he was bad, he was treating my other little brother badly, and I was the moral force, and I didn't. Now I feel bad about it. I still feel bad about it. I've worked on it. Right, and I don't hit anymore. Um, but I don't have to resolve all of this present life stuff because there's not just this present life stuff, but it's our cumulative, it's our ancestral mistakes and our sort of cultural or um, ethnic ethnic mistakes and our just being a creature on this planet, mistakes. It's like we're tied to an infinite amount of harm. 
So even though we take responsibility and even for sort of owning, it really, that level of moral integrity, it stabilizes the mind so a deeper wisdom can kick in, which is, which allows this transformation of understanding of what karma is. Initially, karma seems very personal because we feel the effects right here and we're still operating with self-view. So it's just like, yeah, I have every incentive to take responsibility. It's hard work, but it's less hard than avoiding taking moral responsibility for my thoughts, words, and actions. And that really stabilizes my life, taking personal responsibility for what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing here in my heart. And with that greater stability, then a deeper understanding comes in about karma, that it's nature and not self. But there's no reason for me to stop taking responsibility, but now that responsibility becomes very light. right? Because I'm not afraid in that self way. I'm taking care of it out of compassion instead of to take care of a me. Right? I'm, I'm having that refined attunement to acting skillfully in each moment because it's a beautiful thing to do. That's the difference between, let's say, a theoretical fully enlightened being and somebody like us. You know, like in a place in my life where I have a lot of moral consciousness, a lot of moral awareness, and a Buddha, right, in a place, right? So I'm there. I'm really alert. I don't want to make a mistake. But I'm a little tight about being alert and not wanting to make a mistake, right? Because I feel personally invested in not making a mistake. Because I have a sense that I will personally feel the remorse if I do make a mistake. But the Buddha, he's there or she's there, fully awake, right? And, and their sort of attention, their refined attention to not making mistakes is because it's a real joy. They're not worried about making a mistake because their heart's going to be weighed down. They're they're doing it out of delight, the delight to pay attention. It's a cause for joy. In the same way, you know, when we're playing a game and we're just like totally into paying attention, it's just a delight playing ping pong. You know, it's not about... I mean, sometimes it is for people like you don't want to lose, but there's ways to play a game where it's just a delight. You don't care who wins or loses. It's just a delight. And you're totally there. And that's a, a simile for an awakened person. I don't know personally what that's like. But I, I have a sense that it's like that involvement, that refined involvement in the level of, uh, on the area of morality doesn't go away with enlightenment. It gets freed up. It isn't weighted down by somebody who feels like they're going to be perfectly, uh, personally burdened if I make a mistake. So the motivation isn't wholesome fear or wholesome regret. The motivation is it's a delight. It's a joy. So I'll leave it here. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, 
www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.